0: Hello, and welcome to All Things Urticaria from Medthority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss All Things Urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello, and welcome back to All Things Urticaria. My name is Marcus, and today we will be talking with Connie from Australia about angioedema. Connie, I'm so happy that you have joined us today. Um, why don't you start by letting us know where you are exactly right now?
1: Thank you, Marcus. Well, my name's Connie Catalaris, and I'm head of the Immunology and Allergy Unit at Campbelltown Hospital, which is in the southwestern part of Sydney, and I'm also at Western Sydney University, and I'm a director of the Care Centre that we have here.
0: And a very busy one at that, you're a motor um, of the UCARE network, and one of your favorite topics I know is angioedema, and uh, today we want to talk a little bit about the difficulties that come with this sign and symptom. Why does it take so long to diagnose patients with angioedema? Why don't you give us your idea on how this delay in diagnosis comes about? Mm.
1: Yes, well, Marcus, as you know, the, um, the biggest dilemma is for those patients who present with pure angioedema. I think people who present with a mix of angioedema and urticaria, it becomes fairly obvious fairly quickly that you're looking for a histamine-driven problem. And that is, after all, the most common uh, pathophysiology behind angioedema. Uh, This is mast cell-mediated histamine-driven. And in that context, we're thinking, allergy to things like foods and drugs and maybe insect stings and of course it may be one of the manifestations of a full-blown anaphylaxis and then obviously we also have it as part of chronic spontaneous urticaria where the pathophysiology is uh, somewhat different but what all those causes have in common is they're generally responsive to antihistamines or anti-anaphylaxis treatment. I think the, the the biggest dilemma, and I, I think you probably agree, are with those people who present with pure angioedema. Yeah. Um, if it's the first time they've ever presented with it, well, it opens up a, a wide range of differentials, of course. I mean, it can still be allergic or histamine-driven, even if it's just pure angioedema. But when someone presents like that, you've got to think about the things that may be driven by another mediator like bradykinin. And I suppose Mm. the way I think about it is is in age groups. And if it's a younger person, I'm hardly going to think about ACE inhibitor. If it's an older person, that's my first thought. Again, if it's an older person and it is an ACE inhibitor, I wonder about acquired angioedema and underlying malignancy or autoimmune disease. But in in a younger person, I think you do have to start thinking about the rarer conditions like mm. uh, hereditary androedema in its various guises. And then, mm. of course, there's the group that I'm sure you and I both see, which we call idiopathic. You know, we they don't respond to antihistamines. It's probably bradykinin-driven, but we haven't got a cause. They come up negative to all the HAE screening. And I suppose you follow them carefully to see whether this is a a, a recurrent problem.
0: Yeah. Connie, Connie, on top of age and possibly response to an antihistamine, which uh, is, in my experience, one of the first things that patients do anyway, even before they come to us, what is it that you consider in that um, diagnostic approach? What are the questions you ask and and what are the tests that you uh, will go to depending on the answers you get?
1: So I suppose if if we limit our discussion to pure angioedema, I mean, the the first thing you want to know is, is this a recurrent problem? Is this a one-off? Is it recurrent? Um, Obviously, the patients like to tell you where they're swelling, and the most common usually is around the face. You want to know whether there's been swelling that has put them at risk with their airway, obviously. And you want to know if there's a family history. It's probably my first question. And also, have they ever experienced severe tummy pains, abdominal pains that uh, haven't had an explanation? Or even if they've been given an explanation, has that been a recurrent um, mm. problem? So I'm digging sort of deeper for clues that might suggest that this is hereditary angioedema. Yeah. Once I've eliminated, in the right age group, I've eliminated, you know, um, drug use such as ACE inhibitor and so on. So yeah. I would probe them For pointers to hereditary angioedema. Something else I find very useful is the speed of onset and offset of the swelling. Did it come on over hours or did it come on over minutes? Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think that is a very good differentiator of whether you're dealing with a histamine-driven swelling or something that may smell more like bradykinin.
0: Yeah, longer, longer for bradykinin mediated in in, in the development. Okay, those are good (laughs) pointers you know all driven by that need never to overlook uh, hereditary angioedema absolutely yeah. but hey let's go back to the first and second thing um, that was that's on that's on your mind and that is um, uh, uh, belly belly uh, pain and familiarity so, uh, in your patients who then end up with um, angioedema as their manifestation of chronic spontaneous urticaria, or no, urticaria without urticaria, that that yeah. type of uh, yeah. that patient, have you seen familiarity ever?
1: Uh, I have seen um, a, a handful of patients who, when you ask them about family history, have had somebody else in the family that's had chronic urticaria? Yeah, okay. not not commonly, but I do yeah. have some patients like that. What about you?
0: I, I do t- do that, and I you know I'm still puzzled by it. I usually chalk it up to uh, the prevalence of the disease. You know, if you have one percent of the population affected by a disease. Just by statistics, it must come at one point that uh, two people yes. in the same family are affected. I don't think there is a genetic, genetic driver of chronic spontaneous urticaria, uh, wheels, angioedema, or both. It just happens that uh, this occurs. And then, of course, the answer to the question, did someone else in your family ever have wheels, angioedema, or both, is yes. How about the belly ache? Um, we have some patients who, on top of their defining signs and symptoms, wheels and angioedema, um, have m- m- n- non cutaneous problems with their chronic spontaneous urticaria. Do you see this?
1: I've had uh, some patients, a handful, um, complain that sometimes they feel, I mean, you could write it off as uh, as reflux, that they feel a bit tight in the chest, especially when they're eating. Um, it, it's it's certainly nowhere near as defined as, as our group of patients with hereditary angioedema.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Coming back to the business of the familial pattern, um, as I say, it's not a common finding, but I have seen it. And in one notable family, um, three of the women had autoimmune thyroid disease. Hmm. And each of them had experienced um, some bouts of urticaria at some stage. So I think the link there was there autoimmune thyroid disease
0: that's very interesting connie because because we know of course that um chronic spontaneous urticaria in a a part of patients is an autoimmune disease and these patients it likes to come with other autoimmune diseases and thyroiditis is one of the more common ones and there is a trend for autoimmunity to run in families and finally the autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria patients have more often angioedema than the CSU patients who, who have another underlying cause. So that makes a lot of sense, but probably needs to be explored um, a little bit better, hopefully by the UK network in a, in a project that we will do together. Yeah,
1: no, no I, I agree with you. But you know, another interesting thing that um, I noticed with pure angioedema, I've had just in the last 12 months, some interesting referrals I'll tell you about. Uh, one, it was in the hospital clinic, just said, please see this woman who has permanent angioedema of her eyes mm. and walks in and basically she had thyroid eye disease. Uh, okay. <laughs> she had a lot of that periorbital edema, which right. I suppose to someone who doesn't see much of it, you yeah. could say, well, yes, it looks a little bit edematous. I mean, yeah. the fact that it doesn't come and go and that it's stuck there could um, yeah. have uh, alerted that particular uh, general practitioner. So, um, you know, then it got me thinking about differential diagnosis for angioedema. And I I recall uh, another case some time back that I saw where one, um, there was swelling around one periorbital region and it was actually the lacrimal gra- gland quite swollen. And that that woman had Sjogren syndrome, but uh, she only had unilateral swelling. And again, it went up and down slightly and it made the GP call this, you know, possible angioedema. So while we think that angioedema is fairly easy to diagnose as an entity, we may not know the cause, but as an entity, I, I, I think there are some conditions that do catch people out when they're not so used to seeing it.
0: Absolutely. Did you
1: find any cases like that?
0: Absolutely. Um, yes, I, we get referred angioedema patients all the time who uh, do not have angioedema. We call it pseudo angioedema. And, uh, you know, it ranges from atopic dermatitis uh, to uh, uh, just edema. No, um, it, I think we do need to talk about this more. And in the end, that's what we're doing right now. So um, uh, the aim of What we do as a network is also to help our uh, general practitioner friends and pediatricians to better understand these entities and of course how to diagnose them. Um, Hey, Connie, I have another question to you, and that is, how do you deal with, um, well, let me go back one. So all angioedema patients, in my experience, are afraid that this will go down to their throat, that this may become dangerous. Mm. Yet we know that if there are wheels and this is uh, than chronic spontaneous urticaria with angioedema, this never happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you de- how do you deal with this in a patient where angioedema is the only manifestation of chronic spontaneous urticaria, histamine mediated? What's what's your message to these patients?
1: Well, one, once I'm convinced that that is a diagnosis, that they are on that spectrum of CSU, uh, I reassure them that we don't see airway swelling. Um, and then obviously we start on a pathway of trying to manage it. And um, I will start them on high-dose antihistamines to uh, try and uh, prevent as best as possible the swellings. But if that doesn't do it and they continually uh, recur, then we, we will follow our particular treatment algorithm, which obviously we want to get them pretty quickly onto something like omalizumab to give them a a good trial of that to see if we can suppress it. So it's mainly talking to them about uh, the type of swelling they have, that this is not the allergic swelling that they hear about with um, anaphylaxis. And so we need to control the swellings because they're unpleasant, they're uncomfortable, they're um, disfiguring, but it's not that we're worried about their airway.
0: Yeah, that's a very good. That's a very good take, and that's essentially also what we do here. Um, I do find that it may take um, a bit of time. Yes, yeah, exactly. But yeah. in the end, we're doing patients good. You know, um, throw away the ana pen and uh, sleep with peace. Uh, don't be afraid. This will not happen. I think those are important words for patients to hear from us. Uh, coming to therapy, Connie. Um, you mentioned omalizumab uh, in those who do not respond to an antihistamine. That's also what we do. It is in label because chronic spontaneous urticaria. no, we're repeating ourselves here, is wheels, angioedema or both. But um, what about those patients who still develop angioedema uh, despite uh, being maybe a couple of months on omalizumab? Do you have any Tricks here. What what do you take a step back and and look at look at the pathology again? What's what's your take on that? Yes,
1: well, I, I think we probably all do that. You always question it. I know, especially with some of the women, it takes a little bit more than two months on omalizumab, and sometimes it takes a higher dose than the standard three hundred milligrams a month. So. I will fiddle with all of that. I okay. check that they are still on their antihistamines as well. But look, if the third month's gone, mm-hmm. you know, the fourth month and they're still swelling, take a step back, look at everything again, see if there is anything underlying. And it's in that small group that I will consider perhaps trying cyclosporin. Um, mm. I have a number of patients who have failed omalizumab and yet come under very good control with cyclosporin. I mean, it's a drug we used to use a lot more commonly before omalizumab, um, and we know it works, but, you know, we all worry about the side effects, the long-term side effects, and the need for, you know, good monitoring. However, if somebody's very impacted by recurrent angioedema and they haven't responded to a good trial of omalizumab, pushing the dose up in combination with antihistamines, Well, our our choices are getting limited, aren't they? I'd be interested to know what what you do with that group, because they're very difficult. They
0: they can be very difficult to treat. And of course, uh, now we have some information off-label use of other biologics, uh, dupilumab, benralizumab, uh, also secukinumab, so anti-L17, anti-L4, 13, 5, uh, that can come into play. Uh, I think we also need to clearly say that we need studies for that group of patients because in our current chronic spontaneous urticaria programs, you know, one of the things you need to have as a patient to go into one of these studies is to have wheels. So uh, we are including patients with wheels and angioedema, but patients with angioedema only do not benefit from these clinical trials. And I think we need to move uh, to protocols that allow us to look at this. And Connie, this brings me to a question that's heavily debated in our community. And that is, are the underlying causes of um, chronic spontaneous urticaria with angioedema only, are they different than in those patients who only have wheels or wheels and angioedema? What do you think?
1: Well, I suppose the simple answer is nobody really knows, but I do think that those who have predominantly angioedema but fit into this spectrum are a little different, and I don't think we fully understand that difference.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I agree with you in part. I think they are different. Uh, and... I agree that we don't know as much as we would like to. I think we can be very sure that this is mass cell mediated, that histamine uh, plays a role, although blocking histamine may not be the solution. It definitely is not the solution for all of them, and that we need to figure out if the mechanism that were identified in patients with wheels, such as auto allergy, autoimmunity and others, um, if they apply, and at what rate in patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria and your edema only?
1: I mean, do you? I mean, do you wonder why it's it's like this? I mean, if if we're saying it really is histamine driven, why yeah. do this group, this smaller subgroup, only have this happen in the deeper tissues, in the you know uh, subcutaneous or deep dermal tissues, and yeah. get? Cones and nothing else. What makes that happen?
0: Connie, I wish I knew. I, I, am fairly certain that mast cell populations in the skin are quite heterogeneous, and that you have not one skin muscle cell, but a group of mast cells that um, are different in their receptor expression, in their mediator content, in their response to activation susceptibility to activators, this is what we need to figure out. And I'm pretty sure that we will find that muscle cells in the skin uh, depending on their location are m- one type versus another. And this I think will help us to understand why some patients have both activation yeah. of the more superficial muscle cells and the deeper muscle cells and therefore wheels and angioedema and others only have wheels or angioedema. Big Master,
1: I'd be interested if you have any feel for the group of patients like this. If I think about my patients, the ones that present with pure angioedema in this CSU spectrum tend to be older. I don't think I've got mm-hmm. any young patient that has pure angioedema without the wheels. It mm-hmm. does be in the late middle age group in my,
0: my practice, I think interesting i'll take it back to the team let's see if we see that as well gotta look at it uh, a little bit more systematically hey maybe also a topic for one of our next few care projects Um, this is certainly something where we need information from many centers and many patients in order to figure out patterns and uh, profiles Uh, would be lovely to see um, together what's behind all this Connie, it was great to have you on board. Thank you so much. Uh, Love to talk to you more, but we got to take a break here. My last question to you is Connie, um, if you had uh, one wish, one thing that you could make happen in urticaria right now, what would it be? Would it be angiodema, Or would you would you go somewhere else with this?
1: Uh, well, if if I had one wish here in Australia for my patients, it would be access to a very modern medication for hereditary angioedema that was easy to obtain and that gives almost complete control of disease.
0: I wish your wish comes true. Let's all work towards it. It is certainly something that we need to make happen, Connie. Thank you so much. Um, Asia. Great to have you on board. And people, this was another episode of All Things Urticaria. Connie from the UCARE in Australia with us here today. And uh, if you want us to talk about certain things that uh, you would like to learn more about, please do let us know. Reach out to the UCARE office and the UCARE network. You'll find us at wwwgalen ukcom Hey, easier. Just Google UCARE and Urticaria. You'll find us. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Until our next episode of All Things Urticaria, be well, stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Marcus. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website, www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.